Hello and welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Sandra Lewin and I am your host. I'm on the mission to make insurance a career choice, not a chance. Together with my amazing guests, we are sharing our career stories, tips and much more and hope to inspire to join and remain in insurance. The industry is changing, so it couldn't be a better time to showcase the fantastic women across the insurance market. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Emma, and welcome to the podcast, 100 Women in Insurance. I'm very glad to have you here. We met through LinkedIn um, by engaging on a number of posts. I'm absolutely loving your account on LinkedIn as well, TikTok, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, and yes, I'm very glad to have you here. For those who don't know you, it can't be that many. Um, can you tell us who you are and, and what to do? Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's my pleasure. And for those that don't know me, um, as recently as yesterday, I get to introduce myself now as the co-founder and a principal consultant for Roloff Consulting. And we focus on helping companies digitally transform the way that they sell. So really looking at how organizations are educating their customers, connecting with them and consulting them through digital channels, taking them from early buying stages through to actual customers. Amazing and congratulations. Thank you. I, I do love a sort of a, a, a business owner story. So um, yeah, amazing. Congratulations. That's exciting. Exciting time. <laughs> and what a perfect timing for the podcast. I'm, I'm really pleased to have you here. <laughs> so we always start this podcast with a question. Was insurance career a choice or a chance? I think a chance is the perfect way to put it. Um, I actually went to school to be a high school teacher. So I have a degree to teach sixth through 12th grade social studies. And um, I had all intentions of doing that all the way through middle and high school and beyond. Um, And then was actually given a chance to move into the business world in a corporate training position. So I did that for a few years, and then when I was looking for a change, um, I joke my husband and his dad and his uncle did an intervention at Thanksgiving one year and told me I needed to be in sales. And um, so I applied to one sales position to get my husband to stop telling me that that was where I should be. (laughs) And thankfully I did because I ended up finding a wonderful home that was my transition from that teaching and training background into technology sales. And it was there that I was given the choice to learn about the insurance industry, we were a cross vertical consulting company and we didn't have anybody that was specialized in property and casualty insurance. Um, And we had a large amount of customers in life and health as well. Um, So in my early twenties, I did a whole lot of studying and a whole lot of realizing that there's not a lot of great content out there to learn insurance unless you're in the business. Um, And slowly but surely over the last number of years, have fully been pulled into the industry. Oh, amazing, amazing. So a bit of a chance and a bit of a choice. Okay, I like that, a good balance. (laughs) I think that that it was presented as a choice, but I don't know how much there. (laughs) I know, it's one of those choices. You can choose this and also the same this. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Amazing. So obviously a big change in your career now. And normally what I like to ask the guests is, you know, if you were to film a TikTok, day in life, explaining what your day-to-day job is like, you know, what would it be? So 
But given your 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 change at the moment, and we spoke offline actually about uh, day and night TikTok, um, could you first tell me a little bit more about what does it take to be in sales, in insurance, in technology? Um, and then, yeah, let's talk about a little bit about your first few days as a business owner as well. Yeah. So um, I have been in technology sales, selling into insurance carriers for about a decade. So um, I would say that that was definitely, I mean, has been my life um, up until yesterday. And I would say very similar roles and responsibilities moving forward, even as a business owner as well. Um, I honestly think of sales, especially in an industry like insurance, where things are so driven by relationships and the sales cycle is so long that to be successful as a sales rep in this industry, you really have to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. You can't rely on other people to hand you leads. You have to be out there cultivating those relationships and building a reputation as somebody that helps solve your specific problem. Um, which is why I think that my role now as a business owner is going to be so similar because it it's the same mindset. It's getting out there. It's building, like I mentioned, building those relationships. And I mentioned that in my previous position, I sold into a number of different verticals. Now, sales in general is about relationships, mm. but within the insurance industry and specifically the property and casualty insurance industry, it's a small world. And so those relationships and your reputation is what makes or breaks you. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that just that like hyper focus on that, that's true across the board, but especially within our industry, it's incredibly important. Um, there's lots of people that have taken that choice or that chance to get into the industry mm -hmm. and stay here. And there's intense longevity for a lot of people within the industry. So again, that that relationship piece is, is so important. And I think part of it also goes back to really what the industry is here for. Yeah. We're here to make a promise and deliver on that promise. And so that mentality of being true to your word, showing up for people in good times and in bad flows through the entire insurance ecosystem, not just stopping at making due on the promise of paying out a claim. Um, so I think it's something that goes like beyond what it does in other industries and really like kind of like is the central piece of how to be successful within this industry. Um, looking Very at helpful. Sorry, if I can just jump in, because that's really interesting way of talking about the skill set that requires and, and that entrepreneurial mindset. I think you, you're very right in that. What would, you know, what used to your day, day look like? Like, what would it be just always meeting with clients? What would, what would that entice? Yeah, well, it looks different now because of um, COVID. I would say post-pandemic, I travel more than mm. I did previously, um, partially because you're not going to see people in person throughout your normal sales cycle anymore. So if you mm. want the opportunity to build those relationships in person, going to events and making sure that you're present where people are gathering is a really important part of the sales role. Yeah. Um, but then on, on the flip side, those days that I'm not traveling, I'm here in my glamorous basement in Madison, Wisconsin in the U.S. Um, and I, you know, I have my, my standing desk. And so I go back and forth between sitting and standing on various different meetings. Um, 
you know, both prospect meetings, working with new potential clients and existing customers working through, um, you know, go live or implementations, talking with them about where they might see the next opportunity to partner or what other problems they have that they're looking to solve. Um, and then trying my best to actually move from this spot <laughs> and not be chained to the computer and do things like eat lunch away from my computer or go for walks <laughs> and those kinds of things. I have to be pretty conscious about that. Otherwise I'll get sucked in and kind of stay stagnant all day. Yeah. And, and so now how will that differ that you have your own business? I mean, the, the, there's a lot of people that talk about, I would love to make that transition, but there's a lot of fear that comes with it. So, you know, how are you feeling that transition? What are your day-to-day -day like you think may look like um, differently? And how have you dealt with, if you felt any fear about it, how have you dealt with it? I think the best way of explaining it, and I think that this is always the best choices in life, are both exciting and terrifying. Um, yep. <laughs> and um, I recently read a book called Flow, and it's about this idea that um, – you find a, a state of flow when you're challenging yourself enough and mm -hmm. working within the bounds of like what you enjoy at the right intervals. And yeah. one of the big things is that being in flow typically doesn't come when something's easy to you. So continuing to level up, continuing to challenge yourself, continuing to put those opportunities in front of you is going to be where you find that like just human nature happiness um, mm. is that that like strive and that work towards things that are difficult and challenging to you. Um, so that's what I'm kind of telling myself is like, if you have those <laughs> feelings, that means it's right. Um but my husband and I have both, so he's the co-founder of the company, which is why it's our last name. Um, and we've both been in sales for over a decade. And mm -hmm. um, I have that training background that I mentioned, and we've both been in leadership positions where we're working with new reps and training them to figure out how to manage sales the way that we have. And um, over the course of the last couple of years, we've really kind of narrowed down what that framework that's made us both successful has been and how important digital channels are to that. Mm. Um, and I think going into business would be scarier if we weren't so passionate about what we're doing and yeah. we weren't so sure that we were going to be able to help people change the way that they're managing their sales process. Um, so that confidence, I think, in like we've seen it work. He sold to small businesses. I sold to insurance carriers within the enterprise space and companies outside of that. So we've seen these tactics work on big companies and small companies through some of the hardest economic times through COVID that we've mm. seen before and post. Um, so we're really confident in the framework that we've got, which I think helps a lot. Um, in terms of you asked like the difference, honestly, day to day, I'm going to be talking about different things, but I think my, my day to day life is going to look very similar being having been remote um, my husband's kind of been my only in-person coworker for a while now also. So now we're actually working on the same things instead of just talking about what we're each doing on our mm. side of the, of the basement uh, office space. Um, so, and maybe we'll get a little bit more annoyed with each other. But... I mean, so I would say it's a brave thing to do, but, um, you know, it's, 
if you can make it work, then that's amazing, isn't it? Building the empire out of your basement. I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, you know, you've been in the insurance and you've spoken to so many companies across the insurance industry over your career. I always like to ask before joining insurance and, you know, you are on the path to be a teacher, if you think back to that person, what do you wish that person knew about insurance back then? So I think within the insurance industry, just as the same anywhere else, there is like a specific ling- lingo and like technical knowledge that comes with this industry. And especially when you go to like your first insurance event and you hear people using like the acronyms mm. and throwing around these terms and stuff like that, it can feel really intimidating but behind all of those terms, and this is the same thing with any other industry too, but behind all of those terms are just standard business practices. We just have different names for them and different yeah. names for our processes. Um, and I actually was just joking with somebody about this on LinkedIn the other day, somebody who started kind of helping me learn about insurance all those years ago. And he was saying, it's been so fun to watch your journey. And I said, way back to the days where I couldn't say F and OL, without messing up the acronym. So I think I would say F-N-L-O. I don't even know what I, but like it just could not come out of my mouth the right way. I knew what it was. I knew what the process was, but I like couldn't speak the lingo yet. And so giving yourself patience and time to learn all of that, I think is really important, but recognizing that some of it will come by osmosis. Once you start to understand that like the practices behind insurance as a business are very similar to other areas. I love that. I think that's so, so interesting because one of the topics that we touch on on the podcast is actually retention of the talent within the industry. So people moving between the jobs, but also attracting people from outside of the industry in. And I think there is a bit of a block here where people go, well, if I didn't start in insurance, I can't go in. And I like what you're saying. It's every industry has its lingo. Every industry has its little changes. But actually, if you focus on the soft skills, um, you know, that's where you can come in and bring that. One of the things that I really wanted to ask you is um, I've recently spoken to a few uh, women in America and, and they were in sales, one, one way or another, sales kind of similar roles at some point in their career. And an interesting point was raised, which I, I'm starting now to talk about in the UK um, is why is it that at the board level we still continue to have, or at the senior level, we still continue to have a shortage of women in the industry. And the point that was raised from the American side was actually there is a lack of or, or significantly less women in commercially minded roles um, than there is maybe in other roles uh, in the industry. And they were kind of making an argument more women go into sales and actually have these positions that, um, you know, it's a stereotypical, I don't like making that sort of comment that sales role or money generating role is the only important role in, in in the organization, because that's not the case. But, you know, if you have the money sitting behind your role, you do make bigger decisions at the board and table, right? Um, and I know you've posted recently about this um, use of words like aggressive and grinder in sales. Um, and actually the, the way you sell changes and what I call a feminine way of selling, which doesn't necessarily mean female, <laughs> um, you know, is needed and is certainly increasing. So 
yeah, quite keen to hear your thoughts on that topic. Yeah, so um, I would say I agree that I think part of why we maybe haven't seen that same elevation into C-suite is because of that change or that that focus on other positions as opposed to to your point like those revenue generating positions Mm. and i have seen it many times before where sales leadership is ultimately who makes their way into those high-end positions and often that ceo position Mm. and i think part of it beyond the revenue side is when you're in sales again kind of going back to that entrepreneurial mindset Mm. My job was to get my entire team focused on closing a deal. And often when you're looking at an enterprise sale, that means almost everybody in the company has some sort of role to play when it comes through comes to making a large scale purchase. Yeah. And so in a sales role, you're given the opportunity to not only close a deal, but lead internally, even if you're not in a formal leadership position. Mm. So I worked with our operations people on a regular basis. I worked with our support team to make sure that my clients were happy. Our project managers were helping me set appropriate expectations. I was working with my entire C-suite and directing the way that they helped us get this deal done because ultimately I was the quarterback behind getting that that deal through to the finish line. Hmm. And so I think that those skills that you get in sales and that inherent leadership that comes through leading helps you position and posture to get those positions in an organization. I would say though that you're spot on with the idea that most women, or not most, that's not a fair statement to say, that a lot of women are not interested in sales. And I think a big, big part of that is the language and the, the reputation that sales has. And just as you said, going back to that idea of almost needing a new verb within sales, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a salesperson. I mentioned this idea of like needing an intervention to come into sales in the first place, because just the idea of it made me uncomfortable. I don't Mm -hmm. like to interrupt people during their day. So cold calling is not something I've ever been a fan of. I don't like to push people when they're not ready, because I don't think that that's going to be a successful partnership down the road. But I am incredibly persistent. I'm a good problem solver. I am really resilient when I hear no. And I know how to build those relationships that we were talking about before in a way that maybe it's not a sale happening today, but it's a sale happening in two years. I literally have had, I had an insurance company that the first time I bid with them, my now seven-year-old was in my belly. And wow. by the time that they <laughs> they signed that contract, that baby that was in me when I met with them the first time was in kindergarten. So it's not a short, when you're, especially in enterprise sales, it's not a short mm-hmm. sales cycle. And aggression and hunting isn't going to be what gets you through to the finish line. But that language that we use really alienates a lot of women because that's not how they see themselves. And um, 
I've seen some stuff and I don't think that, I mean, when it comes down to like actual data, I don't think that one gender over the other has a stronger propensity to closing deals. Hmm. But there are some articles from Harvard Business Review that like looking at top performing salespeople and how they trend across certain um, roles and responsibilities or traits of successful salespeople that women tend to align with some of those traits that it takes to be a really strong B2B salesperson more so than their male counterparts. And part of that is it probably the people, the males that are attracted to that grinding and aggression might not align with the same traits and principles that the female sales reps that are are out there killing it are Mm. and um and or their male counterparts that don't see themselves as aggressive and hunters so i think that that you know part of that is shifting and that's part of why i'm so passionate about social selling because i promise that i have a very wide reach from what i've done a much wider reach than the salesperson that wants to get out there and hunt their prospects my prospects know that they're my partners. My clients know that they're my partners and that I'm not looking at them as a sale to kill and eat so that I can make money. They know that I'm in there for a, a long-standing partnership that's beneficial on both ends. And so I do think that there is some work that we need to do in terms of that perception around sales and getting more women into these types of roles because they might sell differently, but they can be really good at it. I love that. And that is, that is very powerful is the change of wordings. And I, I agree. There is certainly a mindset and, and the, the language that we use that does need to change, but will drive more women towards that um, role. Uh, that's really helpful. Um, so Thinking about your career and everything that you get involved in, I mean, aside from your job now being a business owner, you also have a podcast, you have your own brand, which um, I mean, I would love to hear if that's transforming into your business now. You run a very successful LinkedIn account, TikTok account. Um, I mean, the first question is why, <laughs> actually? <laughs> and, it's, and it's only because... You know, I often hear um, there's, there's a bit of a um, negative comment from being on social and kind of building that personal brand in the insurance industry where it's like, well, it's not very professional. Uh, and, you know, my response always to it is, well, the future leaders are dancing on TikTok right now. So, you know, um, but, but yeah, I'd love to know how did you get into it? Why did you do it? What's the, what, does it what does it bring to you? So I would say it started out of necessity Mm. at the beginning of COVID. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I have never been somebody that's going to hit the phones hard. Now I've cold called and I will do outreach to people when I think I can solve a problem for them. But traditional sales methodologies weren't necessarily always matching up with what I did. So I Mm. did a lot of lunch and learns. I was meeting with my clients in person as much as I could webinars, all of that stuff, even before COVID hit. Um, But once we realized that it was more than two weeks and it wasn't something where you could put business on hold and cancel meetings and just like wait it out and see what was happening, I realized that I needed to change my approach. And Mm -hmm. at that time, there were tons of cold calls going out talking about like, it's unprecedented times. Let me solve your problem. You know, like 
that outreach <laughs> wasn't going to do it for me. And because everybody had had to drastically switch to online channels, everyone was completely inundated with webinars. Mm -hmm. And so all of these tools that I had had in my arsenal disappeared overnight. Mm -hmm. And, um, my now co-founder, then personal sales consultant, and I were talking and he, um, he told, he was like, why don't you try video? And I was like, I mean, does anybody watch that? Like, does anybody care about transfer? And he was like, I mean, just try it. Like, what's the worst that happens? And so I called up um, one of my good friends and past colleague who is one of our principal consultants at my last company. And I said, hey, I've got an idea. Can you try it with me? And thankfully he said yes. So the, the first iteration of my video series was born. And, um, and so it was just like, and that one was really talking about like our methodology and how we worked. And then over time, I started to see that there was more value in just talking about industry trends and those types of things. And so the interview series started to kind of shift and mold from there. I would say um, I've always thought of myself as a, I used to always say I'm like crafty, not artsy. And I never mm -hmm. thought of myself as like a creative person. My family is literally full of like dancers and artists and writers and actors. And I was always like the really logical one who was in technology sales and didn't ever think of myself as like this creative person. Mm -hmm. But I think part of it was I had never found my, my medium. And, um, that's one thing that social media gave me was an idea is it was a way to make connections and help people learn, but do it in a creative way that was really like true to who I was. Mm -hmm. And so after I got started, ideas started rolling and it was kind of like, well, what if I tried this or what if I did that? And like little bits and pieces here and there. And there's been some stuff that I tried that fall flat. <laughs> like, nobody ever needs, you know, like I probably couldn't even list all of the ideas that I tried that I thought were brilliant that nobody interacted with. I um, think that's part of it, isn't it? Like people think that once you start on LinkedIn or social media or videos, it's like, oh, it's just perfect every time you get those, you know, half a million views with every video. No, no, no. <laughs> No. It's a it's a try and error 24 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. And sometimes even if you're like the same video posted on different days will perform drastically different. Mm. And that's kind of just like the nature of the beast. But what I, I, I think the reason that I've been able to be as consistent with it as I have is I found what works for me and what I enjoy doing. So it doesn't feel like a chore. Um, now, if there's a day that I don't want to post a video... I don't post a video because I don't want to burn myself out, but I've always found talking to be a lot easier than writing. So like, if you asked me to sit down and write a blog post every day, that would be horrific to me and I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, if you wanted me to do, you know, like text posts or like come up with, I don't even know, polls every day for LinkedIn, I probably wouldn't be creative enough to come up with something that would be engaging to people. Video is the medium that makes sense for me and it's, a vid it's, it's what I enjoy and it's where ideas come to me. My husband is much more of a long form writing content kind of guy and he loves to sit down and put his thoughts on paper, the, you know, like in that blog post form mm. and that's what works for him. And when I force him into video, he doesn't love it all that much, you know, so it, it's finding the mix of what works for you and feels authentic to you so that you don't burn out doing it. And um, so it kind of just over time, it started out of necessity and moved into 
what's now kind of spurred part of this business being founded. You know, that initial conversation that we had back three years ago in our kitchen Mm -hmm. is kind of the initial kernel that got my husband started on his um, consulting side. And then the network that I've built through all of this and the experience that I've built through doing it is the other side of like this business being founded. So now it's turned into something that, you know, has completely changed the trajectory of both of our careers. Um, But it all kind of started just to say like, okay, well, what do we do now? The world has completely shut down. What does this look like? Um, And now we get to, to do this every day, which is, you know, the transition, a lot of my content was nights and weekends. and finding time here or there to mix it in with my job. Now it's going to be a part of what my job is as well as helping other people do it. So I'm incredibly excited that like, it almost feels like I'm going on like permanent vacation because it's like all of the side stuff is now what I'm doing. So um, that's a nice feeling. <laughs> I love that permanent vacation. I think it's funny, I spoke to someone today that um, started their own business and we were both, you know, if you spoke to us about four years ago and you were to say, oh, you're going to do your own thing and you're going to be growing your own business. We were like, no way. We are corporate women. You know, this is what we're doing. And then we hear and um, you work much more than you did in your corporate role, but you love it. It doesn't feel like you're actually working as much, which is, I love that permanent vacation. Um, I mean, for those who, I speak to a lot of people that go, I'd love to get going, but I just don't know where, I don't know how, you know, what would be your kind of top tips if someone is sitting there listening, going, I would love to show up, but I just really don't know how to get started. So, um, I have a couple of ideas here. So one is uh, kind of a little bit of a pitch here talking about what we're, because we know that exact problem. Mm. Um, so we've got uh, what we're calling our social selling boot camp, which is a six week workshop for people to be able to come in literally from like, I borderline don't have a picture on my LinkedIn to working through the steps to get to the point where you understand the framework that will take you to becoming a social seller and starting mm-hmm. to build thought leadership within your industry. Now, it's not going to happen over six weeks. We're going to give you the foundations that you need, and then you're going to have to stay consistent with it and put the effort in to get there. Yeah. Um, but then I, I would say beyond that, um, I actually just did a series on TikTok on this idea, and there's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. It was written back in the 1930s. Those um, are the best. Oh, they yeah. still work. <laughs> And there are six principles in that book. And I just did a um, video series on the Southwest social TikTok. So not my individual one, but one tied to our company, mm. breaking down how to take those six principles and bring them into the social age. To, so, so still use all of those same things that salespeople have been trained on for almost 100 years <laughs> and look at how you can take them and use them for social media. So things like becoming genuinely interested in other people. If you want to build a community, you need to know who's going to be a part of that community and you need to know what they're interested in and you need to get genuinely interested in the topics that they want to talk about so that you can, again, consistently create content that's there. But there has to be a genuine interest behind it. Um, Another one of the principles, like super, super simple, but smile. Like 
Is your profile optimized? Do you have a nice picture? Do you have a cover image? Um, and then all the way down to, you know, how do you get people engaged by using their name and tagging people in posts? And how do you do that authentically? And, you know, so kind of going through those six different principles and that's all available for anybody and we'll be posting those on LinkedIn coming yeah. up. Well, I'll um, put it as well, link under the, in the, in the track in the description so they can definitely have a look at it <laughs> thank you um but again just like really breaking it down to like the simple principles that are behind it not everybody is interested in becoming somebody that's giving keynote speeches mm. you might literally just be trying to get more leads in the door but the best way to do that right now is through social media because people aren't answering their phones the same way that they were. Spam filters are getting better. It's harder to reach people from email. Now, all of those tools should still be in your arsenal, but you should be adding social media into your sales process and then pulling together all of the different aspects that come with your sales process into a digital sales funnel. Um, but it doesn't have to be that complicated and you don't have to have super high production videos or, I mean, I went to a yoga class and put a hat on and made my video for yesterday's LinkedIn post. Like you don't have to be fancy. And I think that's one thing you, and I, you know, I didn't mention this when you asked the question initially, but you said that idea of like not being professional mm. and this like stigma around having a personal brand COVID shattered all of that. Yeah. COVID made the world so much more informal. And mm. people aren't interested in you showing up with your suit and tie and doing something very, very formal anymore. They want to laugh. They want to feel a connection. There needs to be some sort of human behind what's happening. And a human can be professional and funny. A human mm. can be professional and relatable and um, people buy from people. So the idea of trying to be professional is just silly. No, and I, I agree. And that's every time I speak to anyone in insurance, they are every time it comes back to insurance, especially is it, and, and this does relate to other industries, but we're talking about insurance here. Um, it is human to human. And yes, we're selling products. Yes, we're selling solutions, but it is human to human. And you started this podcast actually talking very well around what is the reason, what is the promise that we make? And we make that promise to humans as well. So um, I, I certainly agree with that. Um, so many amazing points you've raised here throughout the podcast. We, I mean, there's so many topics I could go on here, um, but, but we're running out of time. But one thing I wanted to ask you if, Thanks to being in the insurance industry, what's the one experience? Happy to have a few more. Uh, really, anyone can keep to one. Um, you know, what's, what's the best thing you got to experience thanks to being in the insurance industry? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think, honestly, for me, so I will go way back to like little tiny Emma. I always wanted to be a teacher was what I was always told I should be because I was loud and I liked to talk and I liked to be in front of people and um, that persisted and that became my career trajectory. And um, the one thing that I would say, and I've been saying this a lot to people recently in terms of why I'm so passionate about the insurance industry is that as soon as I tapped in to this industry, 
I realized the massive amount of opportunity that's available here by taking a chance, building relationships, and diving into the industry. When you look at um, teaching, you are certified in a subject. You teach mm -hmm. that subject, and you can advance your education. You can do different subjects with additional certifications. You could become an administrator, but all of those things require more schooling. Mm. You can go to school to be a nurse, but you're not going to change what you're doing in terms of a nurse without additional levels of education to become a nurse practitioner. Or, you know, like a doctor can't go yeah. from being a dermatologist to a heart surgeon overnight. There's additional <laughs> levels of certification and education that has to happen there. Same with law. And I could go on and on and on. One of the things that I find really cool about insurance is there are so many opportunities for you to grow mm -hmm. and find what's right for you within this industry um, by simply being there and saying yes to opportunities that you're given. And um, going back to that like little kid that was told to go be a teacher when I was in high school, thinking about what I wanted to go to college for, always in the back of my mind, it was like, man, like I wish there was something where I could just like be a public speaker. And like, I knew people were public speakers and like did that. But at the same time, it was like famous people you saw giving like commencement speeches at Harvard, you know, like at 18, yeah. you don't know. And um, that opportunity is now in front of me because of this industry. And the opportunity to start my own business or to go back into sales if I ever want to, or go work on the carrier side. Um, and help them with innovation. There are so many choices that are available to me if I just want to take them because our industry is so full of opportunity right now, especially with the talent gap and um, so full of people who are willing to mentor you and help you get there if you're willing to say yes. And I just think that that's so cool. I love that. I love that. What a beautiful way to to sort of close this podcast, but as well to share your experience and and tie this whole journey that you've been on to where you are right now, um, which is just beautiful. And I can't wait to watch how you grow, how your business grows, expands, and you're going to help so many companies. Um, I'm sure of that, and so many individuals actually, because that's where it will come down to, isn't it? So beautiful, absolutely amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. And um, I, I look forward to, to learning more and, and engaging on LinkedIn and hopefully, you know, engaging in person and online as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Help us spread the word by following us on LinkedIn and TikTok at 100 Women in Insurance rate a podcast and share it on your social media platforms remember this is a podcast for you so your opinion matters to us if you have any recommendations or comments please get in touch through our social media we'll love to hear from you see you in our next episode <laughs>